We're here today with uh, Joe Justice. Uh, he's just came out with a new book and very well known for Wikispeed and uh, also Scrum and then Agile, which is getting to be my passion the more I learn about it. So, and it seems like the more I learn about it, the less I know. So I do a lot of coaching and I get asked, what is coaching? So I'm going to turn that back on you and ask you if you could kind of do a hundred foot overview of what is Agile. I love it. I love it, Brad. Oh, okay. So agile is reducing the cost to make change. Change in goal or who you get to work with or the resources or machines or materials or software, whatever you've got, changes in those. How quickly can you change how much? So if you've got a company of five people and inside one hour, you can change what the company's goal is, that's a certain level of agility. And if you have a company of 500,000 people, and you can change inside a week what the goal of that whole massive organization is, that's an even different level of agility. So it's, it's mass and vector. That's agile. Many people will say it also has to do with human factors, human-centered design, making people happy and customer in the loop. And I'd agree. So I'd say you're changing for the customer's competitive advantage in collaboration with the customer. That, uh, that's a very good way to put it, because I know there's a lot more that goes into it, but that is a great overview. So what uh, now with your new book, um, it seems to really unpack, you know, different things. Some of your different experiences, of course, with Tesla and uh, 3M. Um, I love that story. I've heard you tell about 3M when... Uh, Elon Musk has called and wanted something uh, for his solar. I, could you uh, explain that real quick? Oh, wow. What a phenomenal opportunity that I was able to work with the solar roof team inside 3M that created a lot of that product for Tesla. So Elon called the CEO of 3M. At that time, it was Inga Thulin and said, you make solar films, solar panel films, photovoltaic films, and you make uh, impact films that could stand up to hail damage um, that you can put over glass, like gorilla glass type of films. And you make adhesives between those layers that don't yellow for a long time, even when assaulted by very intense UV exposure like the sun. And you make privacy films which if you look straight at a privacy film, you see right through it almost. But if you look at it from the side, you see an image that's been printed on the privacy film. So you make all these things. If you put them together, it could make a really thin, really durable, extremely long lasting solar panel that from looking straight down, you see the photovoltaic cell. From an angle, you see whatever image was printed. So it could look like beautiful Moroccan tile or a very modern glass. And it can look like anything you want. I'd like you to make a solar roof product. And Inga Thulin is extremely familiar with the new product development and new product introduction process at 3M and knows that on average that takes seven years. So Inga Thulin says, of course, we would love to do that. It's inspirational and aspirational to work with the Musk companies. We'll kick off that process and we'll have prototypes in seven years. 
Elon said, great, we'll, inst we'll start installing it on real roofs in five weeks and hangs up the phone. So Inga has a choice. Inga can use the established and approved NPI and NPD phase gate approval process, or Inga can work in a shorter cycle, which is what we call Agile. Inga, Inga decided to launch an Agile initiative. And the story of that, I'd love to share it here or in a follow-up session, but it worked. In three weeks, that small, co-located, cross-functional, self-organizing team had five houses worth of solar tiles, a completely new product that was a record for 3M, developing new materials, new products in three weeks. And in the following two weeks, they had applied for five provisional patents. That is just amazing. You know, when teams come together, how it can be done through Agile. What really <clears throat> strikes me, Brad, and I bet this is similar to when you're coaching, is how excited that solar roof team was when I was working with them and talking to them. They felt really alive. They're like, this is the reason I live on this planet. And that's the real indirect benefit. And I don't think you get that benefit unless you're going really fast with quality. So it gets accepted, right? Because if you're going really fast and making junk, people just get frustrated. But if we're going really fast with quality, I think that's the prerequisite. And then you get the real benefit. People feel alive. It was totally different than the normal day at work where you put in your time and you're excited to get home and watch the game or something. People didn't care if there was a game. They're like, I'm living. This is what I'm alive to do. And wow, working with the team, expressing that way was motivating to me, was thrilling to me. I, I felt alive. Well, and that's what, uh, you know, with coaching, we work with mindsets and things like that. But Agile almost works with mindsets as much because you're going from traditionally, we've done it this way not very well for 30 years, to let's try Agile, switch it over, and it changes the mindset. And like you said, it makes people maybe go from just walking in every day doing what they do to getting excited about it. Do you experience that in your coaching? And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you, what have you found in your coaching that helps build that alive feeling, that engagement, that excitement? It's, it's agile. It's taking steps. Um, you know, once you get somebody to take a step and they start down their journey and can see their end goal and they're getting towards that end goal, like you said, with getting back to 3M, if that's five to seven years down the road, it's something you're hoping for but not very excited about. If it's something that's happening this month, um, even if it's not the whole end goal but a chunk of that, it's very exciting. And then it gets you to that goal to the next goal. So. Someone told me once, if you want success, do what makes you successful. And that sounds pretty straightforward, but I think I, I get the application of it better now than even when I heard it the first time. If we do something that's going to make us truly successful, meet business impact metrics in the next 10 minutes, that's super exciting. And if we can do that again in the next 10 minutes, you're on a roll. And if you can do that every 10 minutes for a week, 
that's what we call a sprint. That's what's called scrum. That's the game. And and some teams are new to it and they have trouble. So they, they have coaches that help them and training that helps them. And, and I respect that, right? But the goal is every 10 minutes you get this zap, lightning of empowerment, because you've truly just improved the state of the art. And then it's this self-sustaining roller coaster of awesome. And, and that's what Agile's supposed to be. And some companies really do do it. And some companies struggle, but that's why we have coaches to help. Now, with your book, uh, would you recommend people get the book and then take a course of yours? Or what would be the best route to learn about Agile? Because it's when you say Agile to somebody, especially if they don't know what it is, you get the deer in the headlight look. <laughs> so if you could explain it, because I, I got the book, but it's like every time I read about Agile, and I don't want to make it sound complicated because it's not, but there's new fascinating things about it. So. Well, I love it, Brad. Like you were talking about, really, there's a mindset. And then what you do with that mindset might be worth writing a book, for example. And you can do anything with a mindset. So there's more and more and more information. People can take tools like an Obea room, an all-up room with metrics so you can manage a business. What's that look like with an Agile mindset? Well, I call that a group scrum board. You can call it whatever you want. So that can be a chapter of a book or even a book all by itself. So you keep generating information and it can feel overwhelming. But what I love is when people do get in tune with the principle, be able to be nimble, make business improvements on a, the fastest cadence responsible without jeopardizing quality in any way, delight people, reduce frustration. And then you can apply that to anything and it doesn't feel overwhelming anymore. Everything else is case studies or recipes, right? To your point, what I intended this book to do is be a complete standalone masterclass of everything you need to do to get awesome business value out of agility, whether it's just for you in your studies or your personal life or your own business, or you're applying it to a massive business with hundreds of thousands of people. I tried to make this book stand up to that level. Chapter 16, for example, is step-by-step -step the backlog of a complete agile transformation whether it's for just you and your studies or a company of more than 100,000 people. And the book takes you through it. What I would wish is people would read the book first and then, if they can, take a Scrum Master class with all that information already in their mind so that they can then do it and get that immersive experience with teams, which is what happens in a class. You, you do it and you have the practical experience, the application, now you start to build muscle memory. And it makes it that much lower risk to do it in business or studies or wherever your objectives lead you. So I would say book first, class second, application third would be the ideal accelerator, or that's how I intended the book. So you have had a fortune of working with some awesome companies like Tesla. And then I don't know if you call Wikispeed your company, because I know you collaborated with it, but you're kind of the face of it. You started it. And um, if you could explain a little about, 
I guess both them because they're similar. Um, just uh, but really out of what, like, say, other car makers were doing at the time. Oh, wow. Brad, awesome, awesome question uh, and comment, too. Thank you. So Wikispeed started in my garage in 2006. And at that time, it was in Denver, Colorado. And it wasn't even that big of a garage. And one wall of it was post-it notes of things I wish I could do with cars. I, I have an emotional draw to mobility. I, I have this feeling actually in, 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 my, in my stomach of this idea of maneuvering really quickly, I, I guess agile, like out in space or on the road. And it, for whatever reason, I'm wired that way. It's really exciting to me. And I try to make that emotion come true more and more often every day by designing and building stuff. So I've got this wish inside me that I, that I try to follow. Well, I put post-it notes on one wall of the garage and they were phrased as tests, test-driven development, make a car that's road legal. That means it needs to pass impact tests. That means it needs to pass theft prevention tests. That needs, means it needs to be warrantable for at least 36 months. That's a legal requirement for new car vehicle sale in the United States and try to make it for sale worldwide. So what are worldwide requirements, et cetera. So this wall of post-it notes. And then also there were the objectives that I thought were new to try to make this thing I was proud of. I wanted it to be environmentally responsible. Uh, so produce a lot of energy output by consuming a small amount of energy. So really efficient. And I wanted it to be exhilarating and exciting and super safe and stuff I was proud of and excited. So I have this list of post-it notes. And then I set about trying to make something that would pass the test. And one test at a time, I started machining parts, and I didn't know how to machine parts. And I started learning how to do CAD, and I didn't know how to do CAD. And in one-week chunks, I retrospected, did I get anything done, and if so, what? And I post posted it for free online, saying, what do you think, world? And that became popular. People on the internet said, there's some person in Denver, Colorado, who's trying to build the best car in the world and has no idea what they're doing. So I got a lot of comments and some were constructive and some were not. Uh, and people would say, why aren't you doing it this way? And I would then try the next sprint. I would try to do it that way. Sometimes it was a good idea. Sometimes it was not a good idea, at least not for me. And people on the internet must have said, this person is doing whatever we write in the comments. So it blew up. I got comments from all over the world. And people started even flying into my garage in Denver, Colorado to, to help. And a team grew. And it grew to more than 4,000 people, it, totally organically. And I tried to manage it, if managing is even really a concept that applies, like Wikipedia does, by saying, here's what... I think we should do. Does anyone have a better idea and who would like to help? And if people helped or convinced me that it was a better idea, that's what we did. And that was the entire company structure, like Wikipedia authors. And that scaled to 21 countries all around the world in every time zone. And we set four world records and we met road legal requirements, road legal safety specs in Europe and the United States and in Canada and sold cars and learned a huge amount 
when I worked at Tesla, that is the most similar I've ever seen in any other company. You're radically empowered. From the moment you're hired, you have purchasing authority. You can talk to Elon Musk. The company's 100% flat. You can do whatever you want. But if it doesn't add value to the product, you will be asked to leave. There's monitors all around the company that show the current status of the product. What are the defect rates in terms of what? Where's the defect? Is it a blemish in the paint? Is it misaligned body panels? What What are defects? And what's the range? What's the performance? Customer-facing metrics only. And they're on monitors everywhere. And they're on virtual monitors everywhere. And they're on apps on your phone. From the moment you're hired, from within one minute of being hired, you see all these metrics on your phone and they're all around the facilities. Then it's your job to wander around and find a place to add value. You'll be directed. You'll say, why don't you meet here and meet these people? They have an immediate need that's walk up simple. You should be able to just walk up as a new employee and figure out how to contribute. Okay, so you go there. There's the personal protective gear. There's the... um, people's names and how to access them in the apps on your phone so you can stay in touch and you just start doing and there's robots all around you and people say you should probably learn how to maintain that robot it's near you and sometimes it gets stuck you're like okay and you go to the app on your phone well this is how to maintain this and in a month you feel like your right arm is a kooka robot and your left arm is a fanic robot and you just go anywhere in these facilities and create design and build stuff And if the metrics of the cars improve, you've had a good day at work. And if the metrics of the cars don't improve, you didn't effectively add value. So try to do better tomorrow. And that's the whole game. And it is so fun. I have never had so much fun at work ever. Well, honestly, except at Wikispeed. But that sounds self-serving because it was my own creation. But apart from (laughs) Wikispeed, I have never had so much fun at work. And I remember driving out of the Tesla factory in Fremont, California, in my Tesla, my Model 3, with a huge carbon fiber race wing. It's a a race car. I love my Model 3. And I'm playing some dance music that I like. And it said, we're going to make this world a party place. It's a song I like. It's from the 90s, I think. And I thought, is my work a party place? And I thought, yes. Yes, it is. And I thought, how many other places have I ever worked or visited where I could say it's a party place? And I thought, maybe none are actually a party place while they're producing. I mean, some places will celebrate successes, but what about your partying to make success? And I I thought, no, only in the Musk companies. And Elon gets it. Elon's rolling out Giga Berlin right now, one of the largest factories on the surface of the earth in Berlin, Germany. And the lead concept is the rave cave, this massive dance club. And the opening of the factory, Elon says, is this blowout rave for all the employees, but also all their families and all the people that live around the factory. That's it. I mean, he gets it. It is a party. And he talks about the roller coaster at Fremont and the tiki bar at the top of the launch tower in Boca Chica, Texas. And it's all real. That's the lead statement. It's work should be a party place. It should be a nonstop blowout party that improves the product as a natural side effect of how much fun you're having. And 
that's the Musk companies, and they're trending to be the most wealthy companies in the world. So I think it's working. Uh, by the way, that's what I think Agile is, harnessing change for the customer's competitive advantage and sustainable pace. The way they build factories with the tent and the modular, um, I, we probably don't have time to discuss that today, but I would love to discuss that with you at some time because that's just incredible. Well, we've got five luxurious minutes. So wherever you want to take this conversation, Brad, thank you so much. Okay. Well, um, you said you do have a few more minutes? I've got five more minutes. Okay. Could you briefly just uh, speak on the building of the Tesla factories? It's how you'd actually expect an agile company to operate. So most companies will create a 5, 10, 15-year, 20-year infrastructure plan, and they'll allocate capital towards it. And they'll have groups that are responsible for acquiring land, separate groups that are responsible for negotiating the politicians that represent that area, where the politicians will provide tax breaks in exchange for buying land there and eventually providing employment, or the politicians will create the roads or provide free power for 10 years or whatever it is. So you have these negotiations that are political lobbyings and they're by definition pretty slow. And in 10 or 15 years, you have an operational factory. So that better line up to your product roadmap so you can make high utilization of that factory. Well, Tesla or the Musk companies don't work that way at all. From the moment you're hired, you have the authority to go buy land. So if you think another factory to make more batteries is going to help, and I'm interested to try to do that, so I will. You can. You can go out and buy land. So as a result, the factories are being stood up in places where the land is pretty cheap, like Sparks, Nevada, which land, where land is relatively cheap or Boca Chica, Texas, where land is relatively cheap, or east of the Austin airport, where land is relatively cheap in Texas and the United States. That's just because people go out and buy it. And that day, so by definition, it meets the product roadmap because it's so fast. It's not part of a 10, 15-year plan. It's part of today's need. So you don't have to ask for approval. You saw the need, so you acted on it today. So you buy the land today, and that day you order a bunch of tents on Amazon. And legitimately, it's Amazon. They also use a brand of tents called Sprung, which are super awesome and high wind load rated, and they last for a decade or more. So you put these very affordable tents up, and they're the same tents you would use to host a party or a wedding. Like they look the same. They're white with the faux paned windows. I mean, that's it. And you set those up later that day because Amazon will deliver most of these places in less than four hours. So the day you bought the land, there's a tent on it. And what you're doing in the tent is the reason you bought the land. So if you bought the land because you thought if we have more space, we could build more batteries, that means that day you are setting up or actually building batteries in the tent. It's an immediate return on investment. So that's immediate. Then you start phone calls to local construction outfits, to other people in Tesla who have construction experience, and you start planning the build 
building around that piece of land. Now you had some of that plan in your mind and had some of those phone calls while you're negotiating the price of the land yesterday. So you already have a loose idea of dimensions, but then the building starts being approved and you go through permitting and you likely go to the permitting office that day and have conversations and say, can we get a provisional permit today? And this is a Musk company usual practice now. Provisional permits can sometimes be issued same day all over the world. And it they're funny because the final permit could not be approved. It's true. And if that happens, you'd have to scrap the building. So the Musk companies make a bet. Their bet is we think we're going to get the real permit. So we're going to start full construction on the provisional permit. And you start pouring concrete the same day you bought the land. And you can see that in Giga Texas. And you can see that in Sparks, Nevada. And you can see that in Berlin. That's exactly what they did. The day the land deal closed, there's concrete going up and rebar with the provisional approval. And the reason that's responsible from an engineering perspective is because the buildings are repeatable modules of previously vetted designs. And they're scaled out with real-time feedback from the people in the tent that are building the batteries, designing the batteries, or whatever you are going to do with that land. And you have return on investment from day one, and it's an agile approach. And it means you don't need any 10 or 15-year plan. It's that would just be too slow and irrelevant because you're getting same day return. That is so awesome. Joe, I know you need to go, but could you tell everybody where to get your book, how to get your book, how to get a hold of you if they want a seminar, that kind of thing. Brad, thank you so much for asking. Scrum Master, the Advil training seminar for business performance. I'd like you to get it from Amazon. It's also on LeanPub. Uh, so Amazon and search Scrum Master Joe Justice, you'll hit the book immediately. I would love for you to check out the book. There's a free preview as well. So you can try some of it before you buy it. Chapter 16 is step-by-step how to conduct an agile transformation for business impact. I I highly recommend it. You can take a Scrum Master class from me, which will be for hardware, software, business, full stack, everything. It's what I'd recommend if you were starting a job at Tesla. You can take a product owner class from me, which is finances and metrics for a fast cadence of project funding and vendor management. And I'm working on releasing a certified Scrum developer course, which is the Agile technical engineering practices to make this work. I do a prototype of that now called Agile Hardware Developer. And you can reach me on Twitter at at Joe Justice, where I'd love to hear from you or answer your questions if you have them. Brad, it's an honor and a privilege. Thanks. You can find me at the Agile Business Institute, agilebusinessinstitute.org and wikispeed.com and wikispeed.org. It's my pleasure. And I hope we get to have a round two before too long. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Joe. Have a great day. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye.